Now, I was thinking you know, as I was preparing this message, there's really uh, two types of people in the world. There are people that love Star Trek and people that hate Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, the show, it's about a group of people that are on a mission and they're charged with the exploration of, of the universe. And if you uh, remember the original TV show, it opened up and uh, it said, Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, new civilizations. To what? Holy go where no man's gone before. That was the people that love Star Trek. <laughs> Holy go. See, we don't want to just go through life. We want to go through it boldly. We are not content with knowing what we already know, doing what we already can do. I, I believe we want to grow, that we want action in our life, that we would like mastery, so to speak. That we want to be challenged in life. And I believe that God created us with that desire in our heart, that it's deep, deep in our DNA. I am reminded Every time I'm with my grandkids of that fact, Naya, she's the youngest, she's just turned five, and she has two older brothers. She believes if they can do it, she can do it. And she's always been this way from the time she could talk. She would uh, see her brothers doing something, and she would get right in the middle of it, and she'd be trying to do it, and even if it was really difficult, you'd go to help her, and she'd go, I do it. You know, I do that. My, uh, Cindy and I, we bought the kids skateboards uh, a couple of years ago. We got it for all of them. And so I was uh, out uh, in our cul-de-sac and I was teaching the kids the basics. They had never skated before. So I was showing them how to push off and how to actually stay on the board and showing them different stances and how to navigate and stuff. And in real short order, they were like little speedsters. And they're zipping around. And so then they, they were like, Grandpa, show us something cool. Show us something really cool. And so I was like, okay, I'll teach you how to pop a wheelie, which is actually called an ollie. But uh, they picked it up really quick. And so they were really proud of themselves. And we're walking back in the house. And uh, Dason, he was five at the time. The skateboard was almost bigger than he was, and he was struggling to carry it in, actually. And uh, he goes, Grandpa, I'd be jumping cars before long. <laughs> I was laughing inside, but I just said, I bet you will, buddy. I bet you will. Boldly go. It is a drive that you see in every child. It is something that God placed, I believe, in all of us. And what happens in life is that many times it gets destroyed. It gets destroyed by a thing called discouragement. This old heart of mine, being broke a thousand times. Friends, who you are, the test of your character, it's not how you respond when life is going really well. It is how you respond when life's not going well. You know, we're in this series, Heart, and we've been looking at the heart of a guy by the name of David. And today what I want to look at is what I believe is one of the most discouraging seasons 
in David's life. And, and here's kind of what's going on, just kind of a, a quick shot at it. David, you remember, he was anointed to be the next king. Samuel anointed him. It was kind of a private ceremony. There were a few elders there in his family. But David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Last week we talked about this, but David ends up being employed by King Saul because he sees a giant called Goliath. And David says, I'll fight him. And so he fights him and defeats him. The Israel army, they, they fall in love with David. David is having songs written about him. David is a rock star. Think about that for a minute. David's a rock star. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I just lost everybody, didn't I? That's like, all right. It, it was funny when I was writing it, but um, yeah. David would touch something that turned to gold. David is on his way to the palace. He's going to take the throne, but things begin to shift in his life. And one by one, everything is stripped away from David. How many of you have ever had that happen in your life? I mean, I have. This old heart of mine has been broke a thousand times. Some of you are here today and you have broken hearts. And I believe that broken hearts are just part of life. It's what happened to David. If you look at David's life, he has a lot of losses. I mean, there's, there's his job he ends up losing. Remember, he, for when we first met David, David was a shepherd. Then he was anointed to be the next king, but he hasn't taken the throne yet. David steps up, he fights Goliath. He becomes a celebrated warrior. He's part of the army now. That event of him defeating Goliath, it kind of triggers this pathological jealousy in Saul. And so Saul, the king, attempts to kill David. And so David has to run for his life. So he loses his job because he's on the run. He loses his income, his security. He went from being the celebrated warrior to a fugitive. Then David loses his wife. Remember, uh, he was married to Saul's daughter, McCall. And uh, it was, uh, she was given as a reward for David defeating Goliath. And so Saul is trying to hunt David down. He sends his army to David's home. He's going to kill David. McCall helps uh, David escape. She's taken prisoner for that. She's arrested. Eventually, Saul would force her to marry someone else. It's messed up, but that's how it was in that day when the king said something. It was the law. And so we got another heartbreak for David, if you can imagine. David ends up fleeing to a town called Ramah. And this is where David's spiritual mentor is is from. You know, this is where Samuel lives. Samuel was the prophet. Remember, he uh, anointed David. And Samuel's the one that was always speaking to David and speaking into his life, assuring him that God's presence and God's power was in his life. 
And so David had went there because he thought this would be a safe place to hide. But Saul figures it out somehow. He sends an army. David has to do another great escape. And so Saul, or Samuel, who's an old man at this point, he can't run. And so it's shortly after this that he, he dies. And uh, so we got David on the run again. He goes to his best friend, who was Jonathan. Now, these guys were like brothers. But it was really complicated because Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Now, Jonathan, we know from Scripture, he stood up to his father several times. He, he risked his life for David. But Jonathan lived in the palace. So David couldn't stay with him. I mean, that was never going to work. And Jonathan was not going to lift a sword against his own father. So David has to, to leave. And now he's lost contact with Jonathan, his very, very best friend. David's on the run. Scripture says that he has to leave his country. So he loses his country at this point. He flees and goes to uh, a place called Achish. And he, uh, or to the king called Achish. And he's going to, he's the king of, of Gath, which is, if you know history, this is where Goliath is from. This is Philistine country that he's in. In other words, he's in enemy territory at this point. They figure out who he is. They figure out that it's David, and it becomes a very dire situation. And David, he's fast thinking, so David acts like he's insane. You know, he starts slobbering, and he's acting all like he doesn't know what's going on. And so the king... He's in the king's court. He's acting crazy. And the king goes, get him out of here. I don't don't want him in here. And so David's able to escape. And this time he he flees to the caves of the Dulam. Now, I want to see, are you tracking with me here? David. David was appointed and anointed to be the next king. David expects that he's heading to the palace. He's waiting to take the throne. Remember, this is not David's idea. This was God's idea. David, now, he doesn't, he has no job, no money, no home, no wife, no friends, no advisor. He is on the run, and instead of going to the palace, he's now living in a cave. He's living in a cave, and he doesn't know why he's living in a cave. And he's living in a cave, and he has no idea when or if he's going to get out of the cave. And I want to talk about caves a little bit. See, a cave is a place that you end up when things get knocked out from under you. You thought you knew where you were heading in life, and things went another direction. I mean, you thought you were going to accomplish certain goals by this point in your life. You thought you were going to have a great marriage, a great family. You thought you were going to boldly go where no one had gone before. But now you assess things, and it's very, very clear. Things are not going the way that you planned. I mean, maybe you lost your job. Maybe your career's in shambles. Maybe you're under tremendous financial pressure. 
you know, maybe your marriage, maybe your family, it's just coming apart. There's nothing you can do. I mean, maybe you're living alone. That wasn't your plan. Maybe you're deeply disappointed today. Maybe you're disappointed in your children. Maybe you're disappointed in your parents. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a bad decision that now you're having to deal with some consequences from. This old heart of mine, being broke a thousand times. The cave is not the plan. I mean, the cave is the place that we all, all of us, everyone here, you included, it's where you find yourself at some point. And I think the hardest part about being in a cave in your life, at some point you feel alone. some point you wonder where God is. You wonder if God even cares. You wonder how long you're going to be in the cave. You wonder, am I ever going to get out of here? And you need to hear this. I know this from experience. God does his very best work when you're in the cave. It is where he molds and he shapes our heart. You know, the chronology of David's life, in Scripture, it's a bit muddy. But but we know that as we read that, we look at history, that David spent about 10 years in the wilderness hiding out in caves. I mean, he was a fugitive. Think about that. For a decade. And from a human standpoint, when you look at God's promises to David, they look like they're never going to come true. I mean, these are hard years. David, though, he's not totally alone. We're told about that he had a small group that was with him. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. (laughs) Woohoo! <laughs> and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Think about it. How would you like to be in that small group? Discontented? Come on! You know, I mean, sign me up for that. But David spends years with these guys. If, if you jump ahead in, in Scripture, uh, chapter 30, he's still in the wilderness years. And David and these men, they've started establishing kind of a refuge community. And uh, they call it Ziklags, the, the name of it. But they've taken wives at this point, and they've got families, so kids are being born, they're growing up. And one day, all the men go out. I don't know if they were hunting or fishing or what they were doing, but they're, they left for the day. And when they come back, the village's been destroyed. The Amalekites came in and destroyed everything and took their wives and their children captive. The scripture says this, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever cried like that? you ever wept to the point that there's nothing left in you? There's no more strength, you're empty. It sounds like a bad situation here. But it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse because the men at this point, they say, 
David, he's greatly distressed because the men now are talking about stoning him. I mean, they're bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters, because of what had happened to their family. But David found strength in the Lord. You know, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the chaos, this old heart of mine being broke a thousand times. But David finds strength in the Lord. Friends, I I think it's very important, and it's a great thing to be encouraged by other people. We all need that. I I think it's great to be able to come here and worship like we did this morning. I, I think it's great when we read books or you hear a message, it stirs your heart. Friends, when you're alone in a cave, it's just you and God. God can start developing your heart. God can help you gain strength like no one else. I mean, I believe there's some things that we can do to build our heart that will help us strengthen our heart, that'll give us strong hearts. I mean, one thing that we need to do when we're in that cave is we need to be open and honest with God about our discouragement. You know, name it. And this takes time and effort. You know, many of the the Psalms uh, were written by David. And Psalms 142, it's got a little title if you read it in in the scriptures. It says the mescal of David when he was in the cave. It means the prayer of David. This is what he prayed. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. All right, just a show of hands. How many of you know how to complain? (laughs) Now, I know some of you think it's a spiritual gift, and I'm here to tell you it is not. But if you can complain, you can do this. You've got all these different psalms. You've got psalms of thanksgiving. You've got psalms of praise, psalms of wisdom. But the most frequent psalm that you will find is the psalms of lament. They're complaining to God. They're prayers of complaint about what's going on. And here's the great thing. God's okay with that. David, he pours his heart out. He complains. And ultimately, David gets to the bottom of his pain and his frustration and his discouragement. When I watch people, most people won't go there. No, instead, what we do, we we tend to just stuff down our pain, to pretend like it's okay. You know, put on your game face. How's it going? Good. Great. And friends, let me tell you, if you do that long enough, you will start living life with this chronic sense of discouragement and it will leak out and it will rob you of your life and it will drain the life out of the people around you i heard the other day a story about an avid duck hunter he decided that he was going to buy the best retriever he could find and so he went out and he found this dog that could walk on water He bought the dog. He could hardly wait. He wanted to show this dog off. First day of hunting season, he took all of his buddies with him. He finally, he gets a duck. The dog trots out 
when it gets to the water, it just starts walking on top of the water, gets the duck, comes back, doesn't even get its paws wet. Nobody says a word. The guy, he couldn't stand it any longer. He's like, didn't you notice anything unusual about my dog? And one of the guys goes, yeah, he can't swim. All right. Anybody know anybody like that? (laughs) Are you like that? Friends, if you are not careful, it is very, very easy to slide into kind of this low-grade living where discouragement rules your life. See, God allows from time to time for painful things to happen in our lives. God will bring about in your life a conviction of sin. He'll drive you to your knees so that you'll repent. He will bring challenges into your life that may scare you. He may give you a vision for something and it may overwhelm you. But be very, very clear on this. God is not about discouraging us in our lives. If you want to do a little assessment of your spiritual life, your spiritual maturity, I mean, most people do the superficial thing. But if you really want to get a pulse on where you are, just ask yourself a very simple question. How easily do you become discouraged in your life? Because as a general rule, if you are walking close to God... The problems you face, I mean, we may cry, they may hurt, but they will not get a hold on your spirit and your heart. You will tend to face life with a sense of hope because God is with you. It'll lead you to things like the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will fear no evil. I would encourage you, to take some time this week. You know, take a few minutes, rate yourself on where you're at with this, where your relationship is, you know, one to 10 kind of thing. You know, how discouraged are you today? And then talk to God about it. Be open about it. Be honest. Pour out your complaint before God. I mean, tell him what's on your heart. Just tell him. Second thing you need to do when you're in a cave is you need to take some sort of positive action in your life. Okay, the village has been destroyed. The wives and the kids have been taken captive. David goes in, to, in prayer to God. says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? God says, pursue them you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David's a warrior. His gut instinct is to go to war. But he doesn't do that. We we find David praying, saying, should I do this? He's seeking advice from God. These men have raided our village, destroyed it. They've taken our wives, our children. Should I pursue them? And God goes, Go get them, and you will succeed. And so David pursues them. He goes after them. See, I believe people get stuck here. 
they get stuck in discouragement because we don't devote the time and energy that we need to to discover what it is that we're discouraged about, you know, where the discouragement is, is actually rests. Other people, they know the issue. It's very clear to them, they just don't deal with it. They don't do anything. It's like they're waiting for some outside force to magically take care of whatever it is that they're discouraged about. See, some of you are discouraged today. Some of you have been living in discouragement for a long time. And you've been waiting for somebody to fix it. And friends, I want to suggest to you that maybe God has been calling you for a while saying, get up and take some action in your life. You need to be doing some things here. Again, I'd encourage you to do a little assessment in your life. You know, what area in life are you discouraged about? You know, where are you frustrated? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some sin that you just keep battling and struggling with and you just can't get past it. Whatever it is, you know, take it to God. Complain. Talk to Him about it. And then commit to doing something about it, taking some kind of action. When you're in the cave, something you've got to be careful of, you've got to resist temptation. And I know this will sound a little bit strange, but there really is a connection between being in the cave and being tempted in in life. You know, when you're in the cave, when your heart's being broke a thousand times, when you're discouraged, you're very vulnerable. I mean, you're vulnerable to anything around you that promises a moment of relief in your life. You know, David's hiding. Saul, he's out and he's returning from a battle. He's been fighting with the Philistines again. They did that a lot. And so they're traveling back home. Well, Saul decides he's going to really go after David now. So he gets 3,000 of his best men, his best warriors, And he goes hunting for David. And scripture unfolds the story that at a point, apparently they've been traveling for a while. And, you know, the guys are like, how much further? How much further? That kind of thing. And, you know, we need to stop and get a drink and what have you. Well, the king needs men's room. And so he sees a cave off in the distance. So he he says, well, we'll stop here. So he goes up to the cave. And he walks into the cave, and Scripture picks up here, says, the men, this is David's men, said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you please. David is in the cave. The king's in the cave, but they don't know each other's in the cave, all right? And so... David and his men, his men see this, and they immediately go, this is the day that God told us about that would come. This is the day he spoke of. This is judgment day. This is a clear way out of this cave. It must be God's will. Saul's clueless again. David sneaks up on Saul. He's like a ninja. He gets so close, he cuts off part of Saul's robe. Immediately, and I think the Holy Spirit speaking to David, 
Scripture says his conscience was stricken at this moment. God's Spirit speaking to David. He's got this opportunity. He's tempted. Scripture says this in verse 6. He said to his men, David's talking to his men, the Lord forbids that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hands on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David doesn't allow his men to attack. In fact, Saul is able to leave the cave safely. Saul's heading back to his men. I think about the temptation there. This is a guy that's tried to kill you a couple times. He's between you and the throne. This would have looked like the way out of the cave. But it would have been wrong. It wasn't God's will for him to kill Saul. I think it would have sent a message to all of Israel that the way you become king is kill the king. Which sounds good until you are the king. (laughs) I mean, perhaps if David had done this, I wonder if it would have destroyed his heart. I mean, some of you are in the cave today. Some of you are tempted. I mean, there's a shortcut presenting itself, but it's wrong. You know, there, there's a piece there that when it crops up and you go, oh, I could do this, this would bring relief in my life. You have a decision to make. And this is an important decision. It's a defining decision. Will you submit to God's will? Not your will, God's will in your life. You know, I hear it all the time. And maybe, maybe you're, you're single and you're lonely and you're tired of being alone. You know, tempted to have that fling, that one night stand. Submit to God's will. I mean, maybe you're married. Maybe your marriage is in the cave, in the wilderness. Tempted to pursue another. You know, and I know what goes through people's minds. It's like, God wants me to be happy. It's so lonely. Here's a way out. And so we rationalize it. Rational lies. They're lies. We tell ourselves. It's a way out of the cave for a moment. But it's not God's will. And it's just for a moment. Maybe you're drowning in debt. See, the temptation is, well, I'll keep spending. It's a way out of the cave. It feels good when you get something new. True? It does for about that long. And then you start having to make payments or you realize you didn't have the money to do it. But it feels good for a moment. See, decision time. Will you submit to God's will and God's ways? Shortcuts, they look appealing. I won't kid you. They do bring relief for a moment. But it will damage your heart in the long run. Maybe the short term, too. David. David resists the temptation. Saul walks out of the cave. He's heading back to his troops. Scripture says at this point that David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul. My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, 
David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And if you read the story, David starts talking to Saul. He says, look, you've been listening to all the people around you, and they're telling you that I'm your enemy. I'm here to tell you I am not your enemy. I've never been your enemy. I could have killed you a moment ago. I was in that cave that you were in. In fact, I got so close to you, and he shows him part of his robe. You've wronged me, Saul. I've never wronged you. You're hunting me. I have never hunted you. And it's a very interesting moment because apparently Saul doesn't recognize David. I've got to assume he's been on the run. He hasn't shaved. He hasn't not taken care of himself. I, I don't know. But Scripture says when David finished, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept out loud. See, I think for a moment, Saul realizes what David said is true. He has a realization. His heart softened for a moment. Scripture goes on in uh, verse 19 and 20. And he says, May the Lord reward you, reward you well for the way you've treated me. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. See, God's changing hearts. He's strengthening hearts at this point. Saul asked David, he says, look, you've got to swear to me that you will not kill my family or my descendants. That was a common practice back then. The scripture says that David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. It's a very curious thing here. David returns to the cave. David returns to that place of refuge in his life. See, David knew it was not time yet for him to take the throne. Saul, he returns home. Battle isn't over because Saul would change his heart and he'd come after David again. But David returns to the cave. David returns to the cave because it was the place that he had refuge with God and I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, telling him, this isn't over yet. And so he is waiting again. And God is working in his heart and God is building David and strengthening him. And friends, I have found in life sometimes the only thing you can do is take refuge in God. You know, sometimes you're in the cave. Sometimes you're in the cave and and you're praying and you're seeking God. And sometimes you come up with a really good game plan. And if you work really hard with God's help, if you stay bold and you keep your heart clean, you can get out of the cave. Sometimes. But friends, sometimes you're in the cave and there is no human action that will get you out of it. It isn't something that you can fix. It isn't something you can heal. It isn't something that you can escape and run from. And when that's the situation, the only thing I can tell you is you hang on tight to God. You make God your refuge. 
you find your shelter in God. And that's what David did throughout his life when he was faced with those moments and it served him really well. David would write these words in the Psalms. He says, but I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praises to you, God. You are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. See, from the cave, God was working on David, working on David's heart, strengthening David. From the cave, God took David to the throne, to the palace. See, to the cave, the cave where God does his best work. You think about the life of Jesus, his his son. He had everything stripped away at a point. He lost his position. He lost his ability to teach anymore. You know, be a rabbi. He lost his his rights, his status. He, He lost the adoration of the crowd. I mean, there were no more hosannas. No, instead it was crucify him. He lost his dignity. He was beaten, stripped of all of his clothes, mocked, and ultimately nailed to a cross. And then the men that he'd spent all that time with, his closest friends, they abandoned him. And when he dies, they put him in a cave. Everybody thought he was finished. But they didn't know. God does his best work in caves. Caves are where God resurrects things. It's where he changes things. And one day, we all know, because we celebrate it every day, Jesus walked out of that cave victorious. And friends, what I want to say to you today... If you're in a cave, remember, always remember. Don't forget. Don't let anybody trick you or fool you. Do not believe the words of this world, but believe that God does his best work in the caves. I know that from experience. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't like caves, and I don't like going there but I know God's done his best work in me when I've been in the cave. And so I hope that encourages you this morning if you find yourself in a cave. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, I praise you. God, I thank you. You have created fearfully and wonderfully. God, I know there are many of us today that would stand to give testimony there's a day coming that you walk out of the cave God we're thankful for all that you taught us during those times that we've been alone maybe been on the run been discouraged God we don't want to go back and go through it but we know we're better people today because of it you strengthened us changed our heart. You molded us. You made us who we are today. 
God, I know there are some here today that they're in that cave. God, I pray you would pull brothers and sisters alongside of them to encourage them. God, I pray you would give them the strength just to pour their heart out to you. God, you'd make it clear, whatever it is that uh, they need to be about doing or not doing or whatever it is that you're calling them to, that they would hear it, that it would press on their spirit to the point that they become people of action. God, protect us, guard us. Most of all, God, help us to all trust you in those times. God, we give you the glory and the praise this day and every day. God's people said. We have uh, several uh, parents that are dedicating their children today, and uh, I would just ask those parents, you can kind of step out, go get your children, and um, we're going to continue with worship uh, as they go to get their their kids, and I'm going to invite the the band up here, and uh, we'll just uh, worship together and then uh, celebrate with these families this morning.